Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 61 of Everyone's Favorite Mediocre Program. This podcast is just okay. I feel like every week we're getting bigger and better, and uh, this week is no exception to that. So uh, we got a pretty big episode for you guys today. Got a lot to discuss, um, something I haven't done in a while. So um, I'm pretty excited. I hope you guys are just as excited. Let's hit the theme song, um, our national uh, podcast anthem, if you will. Uh, Please rise and uh, enjoy the show. doesn't get you excited and goosebumpy and uh make you feel all epic then uh sorry you got no soul man um that's a that's a theme of uh of childhood right there that's nostalgia and that is probably one of the best uh cartoon shows and uh memories of a kid as, as i ever had so um with the theme song I'm sure you guys can guess uh, what I'm gonna talk about today uh, I'm excited we are one week away from uh, the next Wolverine movie, Logan, and I am excited. I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, you guys don't do it justice in the movies, and you're ruining my character. It's not ruining anything, man. I mean, I like like I've said in the past, the way I always see it, um, you have different writers who do different iterations of the character in comic book form. You always have different writers, and they, they do their different story arcs. Uh, some good, some not so good, but it's their vision. Uh, same, was the, same as the cartoon shows, and, uh, well... I always say, why are why are the movies different? You know, it's that person's iteration and interpretation of that certain character. Um, you're not ruining it, man. It's a it's a great great time to be had by all. A great time to be alive to be a comic book fan because um, <clears throat> I've said it in the past. I I grew up in a time when liking comic books was not cool and not socially acceptable. Um, wearing an X Men T shirt could get you beat up in school, um, and I used to wear tons of Wolverine gear and X-Men gear and, and stuff like that. I actually, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've told the story before. I don't know, but I, I actually got, uh, I got beaten up the first day of sixth grade for wearing a Darth Vader shirt because I liked Star Wars and that wasn't cool. Um, and now it seems opposite. It seems like you're, uh, you're the kid that gets picked on if you don't like Star Wars and, and comic books and everything. It's weird that it became the social norm and everything, but I loved it as a kid and X-Men was my, introduction into comic books and that that's where it all began for me um <clears throat> i got this giant uh sized x-men annual book based on the 1990s cartoon series and um it had a lot to do with nightcrawler and wolverine and gambit and cyclops <clears throat> 
And that was my that was my first introduction into comic books. And from there, I got hooked on the show, and I was up every Saturday morning with a tape in the VCR, you know, at 8 a.m., making sure it's all set up so that when 10 a.m. hit, X-Men hit, I could hit record, and I'd have every episode on VHS. It took, think, three or four VHS tapes set on SLP setting uh, for the six-hour uh, viewing. And a lot of kids uh, listening to this are going, what are you talking about? Ask your parents. It, it's a long story about uh, VHS and LP, SP, SLP, all that stuff. It sounds technical, really easy. I, I got it as a kid, okay? Your kids get, get iPads and stuff. I got VCR. So, <laughs> but, um, and the cool thing is I'd sit there and re- I'd record it uh, with the remote in hand. So when the commercials came, you could pause and, uh, it would stop the recording while the commercials were going. You can hit record again, so you have the full episode commercial free. Yeah, that was innovative, dude. That was in a time before DVRs and and, and uh, live streaming and all that stuff. You had to do that manually. Uh, but um, anyway, I'm getting off subject here. I'm excited. Um, something I haven't done in a long time. I have not talked comic books with you guys. I've been talking movies and uh, other current events and all kinds of weird jazz, but I've not talked comic books in a long time, and that was one of the Basis's basis basis it was one of the things that made me uh, in, in the beginning of the podcast I had talked about doing a separate comic book show podcast so this is probably the first of that and uh, that goes along with today's theme so um, I got a top 11 list for you guys today I've been so excited and uh, I'm gonna read it to you I've got it sitting here on my notepad. Um, but first, I'm going to play you guys a song, like I always do, get you guys in the mood, get you guys in the spirit, get you guys pumped for the week, and uh, let's do it, man. Let's get through this. Here we go. Oh! 
if you want to hear an acoustic version of that, I did one years ago on YouTube, um, which is at youtube.com slash kissmember34, which I will get into later. So <laughs> for now, I have a top 11 list for you guys, and I'm going to give you a, um, an interest here. One of my favorite comic book characters of all time, before the, before the movies, before all the hype, before all the cons, I've always loved Wolverine. Uh, that was that was my first character I actually read in the book, and I was like, "Oh my God, this guy is amazing!" Um, saw the saw the cartoon, and uh, you know, when when you're getting action figures as a kid and birthdays and Christmases and stuff, I think I got about six or seven different variations of Wolverine, which are now in my son's room, uh, and he has them to play with along with uh, you know his arch nemesis Sabretooth. So um, now, <clears throat> so here here we go. Going back to uh, the very first appearance in Incredible Hulk, number 180, Wolverine has enjoyed a special place in the Marvel Pantheon as one of its most popular and some might, ar uh, some might argue overexposed heroes. You know what? He's come. He's become the poster boy of, uh, of the X-Men and stuff. Whatever. I've always loved Wolverine. So you can't get enough of him. That's what I'd say. Uh, between his exploits with the X-Men and his own solo titles, the character has been written and illustrated by some of industry's brightest stars, including Chris Claremont, John Bar Byrne, uh, Frank Miller, Mark Miller, and uh, 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 John Busama and uh, Steve McNiven. Um, so there's a little, little history. Okay, this is going to be uh, 11 of Wolverine's most epic moments in comic books. So for those of you who've read the comic books, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I'll give you the uh, reference and number so you can go check them out, man. You can do them digitally now. You can go to the, your local brick-and-mortar store. Support comic books, man. I love comic books. And uh, it's almost con season. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go this year, and I'm kind of bummed about it. So um, <clears throat> I'll bring you this. So anyway, number 11, uh, called No Pun Intended, uh, from The Punisher, number 17. Okay, so um, for a little bit of context, in the midst of what almost amounts to a heartwarming Marvel team-up moment, Punisher decides that he must stop Wolverine from tracking him, no matter the cost. Um, and we all know Frank Castle is nothing if not effective, uh, laying into Wolverine with surgical precision and tremendous savagery. After emptying his shotgun into Logan's face, and I'll tell you, in the comic book, it's crazy because Wolverine's face is just blown off and it's just exposed uh, adamantium skull. Uh, kneecaps and genitals. Uh, Castle takes a moment to dream up the best way to stop Wolverine's pursuit, and he settles on the most obvious method, commandeering a nearby, nearby steamroller and casually crushing Logan's entire body up to his forearms. That's something you're never going to see in the movies, but it was pretty epic in the comic books. Um, Ten. Now, this one... Um, <clears throat> this one goes into what the movie is going to be uh, somewhat based on uh, next week here. Number ten is Old Man Logan. Uh, Wolverine... Volume 3, number, issues number 66 through 72, um, Wolverine giant-sized Old Man Logan. Uh, not for the faint of heart or weak of stomach, Mark Miller and Steve McNiven collaborate to bring Wolverine into a violent dystopian future where all of Marvel's supervillains have banded together to destroy superheroes and rule the world in individual uh, fiefdoms. Um, in this story, Logan has renounced his former persona as Wolverine. And the reader eventually discovers that Wolverine died the day Logan was tricked by the villain Mysterio into thinking he was attacking a gang of villains invading the X-Mansion, when in reality Wolverine was hacking and killing his X-Men teammates. So uh, it's pretty dark. Um, 
Logan is eventually goaded back into becoming Wolverine when his family is murdered by the incestuous ancestors of the Hulk and She-Hulk. Uh, that leads to an absolutely brutal fight between the two longtime rivals in Wolverine and Hulk. Um, old man Logan is bombastic and filled with copious amounts of blood and guts, but it's also quite riveting and enthralling, making it one of the more memorable Wolverine solo stories to ever be published. Uh, number 9, Coyote Crossing, Wolverine Volume 3, Issues 7 through 11. As the second major arc in Greg Rucka's run, scripting Wolverine Coyote Crossing is a notably qui noticeably quieter, more metho methodically, sorry guys, I can't read today, methodically placed story that is far more character-centric than a number of other entries that will appear on the list. Um, the story follows Wolverine as he's tracking down a mysterious leader of a gang involved in human trafficking near the Mexican border. Uh, meanwhile, Wolverine is getting tailed himself by a DEA agent, Rucka, introduced earlier in the series, uh, Cassandra Lathrope. Wolverine is ultimately faced with a choice where he needs to decide between giving in to his base animal instincts or empathizing with his cruel adversary and demonstrating his humanity. Uh, the Wolverine character is always at his richest and most complex when faced with the kind of moral dilemma Rucka raises in the story. So that one's good. Check it out. Um... <clears throat> Number eight, Fatal Attractions, uh, mainly X-Men number 25 and X-Men or Wolverine number 75. Uh, because every major comic book character needed a big game-changing status quo upheaving moment in the 1990s, in Wolverine's case, Fatal Attractions is the storyline where Magneto uses his mastery of magnetism to pull the adamantium coating off Wolverine's skeleton. Uh, why Magneto had never thought of that before in the previous 15 years remains one of life's greatest mysteries. But um, in the following issue of Fatal Attractions arc, while Wolverine is recovering from his horrific injuries, the X-Men learn that their teammate has actually has bone claws, meaning they were a part of a skeleton. Wolverine's portion of Fatal Attractions end with Logan leaving a bunch of Dear John letters with, for his teammates and taking off to figure out stuff on his own for a while. Um, that one's... Uh, that one's pretty brutal. So, uh, seven origin. This six-part miniseries, which was written by Bill Jemis, Paul Jenkins, Joe Casada, and art from Andy Kubert, finally establishes some semblance, some semblance of an origin story for Wolverine, focusing on the character in his earliest days as a child living on a plantation. There are still some things about the character that are left unexplained by the comic, though the creative team would later admit that this was explicably done by design as a way to keep one of their most popular characters somewhat shrouded in mystery. Uh, the series also does a really slick job in creating analogs of key characters in Wolverine's life. One character, a young boy named Dog, is clearly inspired by longtime Wolverine adversary Sabretooth to the point that some people don't even think the child is inspired on the character and actually is Sabretooth. Additionally, there are parallels with two characters and Scott Summers and <clears throat> with the two characters, Scott Summers and Jean Grey, which provide context as to why Wolverine acts the way he does as an adult. A sequel to Origin was released earlier this year from Kieran, from the Kieran Gillen and Adam Kubert creative team. Six, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Uh, this 1984-85 miniseries from Chris Claremont and Al Milgram is as critical as to the young Kitty Pride's biography as it is to Wolverine's. In one of the minis collected editions, <clears throat> one of minis collected editions, Milgram says that the Im impetus behind the series was Wolverine's white-hot popularity and Claremont's desire to raise the profile of Pride, a character that he had created and was very passionate about. With that in mind, Kitty is depicted as being a bit more hardened and troubled in the story when compared to how she was being portrayed in the larger X-Men group setting. 
Additionally, this is one of the first stories that established Wolverine's parental slash familial sensibilities, a trope that would be repeated numerous times over with Logan and other younger female members of the X-Men family. Uh, probably the greatest part of this miniseries is the fact that Claremont and other creators maintain that mentor-protege relationship between Wolverine and Kitty, while also allowing both characters to mature and evolve. It's the sincerity and authenticity of this relationship that makes Wolverine-Kitty dynamic one of the best in X-Men universe. Um, <clears throat> five, 24 Hours, Wolverine, Volume 2, Issue Number 10. This phenomenal one-and-done story from creative masters Chris Claremont and John Buscema weaves between past and present to ultimately depict the cyclical nature cyclical nature of Wolverine and Sabretooth's violent hate-fueled relationship. The story takes place on Wolverine's birthday as he remembers his first brutal fight with Sabretooth many years earlier on the same day. Sabretooth's dominance over Wolverine causes the character to realize what it's like to be beaten and to know fear and pain. Seeing this level of vulnerability and weakness from a tough guy character like Wolverine is quite shocking and unsettling. Meanwhile, the story is absolutely confirms that Sabretooth is Wolverine's arch nemesis, especially with its surprise and clever ending involving a note that is left behind for Wolverine. Um, so elements of that story would be minded considerably for 2009's X-Men Origins Wolverine film, demonstrating just how influential 24 Hours ended up being for the character and the X-Men family comic book universe. Number four, <clears throat> Enemy of the State, Wolverine number 20 through 31. This Hollywood-style epic, courtesy of Mark Miller and John Romita Jr., shows the danger posed by a not-in-the-right-mind Wolverine, who was killed in one of the arc's first chapters and resurrected and brainwashed as an agent of the Hand and Hydra. Under the guidance of these two evil terrorist organizations, Wolverine goes on the mother of all killing sprees, taking out friends and allies in the process. Nearly every major Marvel hero and faction of note makes an appearance in this arc, lending to its overall event feel. In the story's second half, Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. work to bring Wolverine back from the dark side before their hands are forced as they have to send him out into action fighting Hydra and their new leader, the mutant Gorgon. So uh, that, one's, that one's pretty good. Uh, number three, Wolverine Alone, X-Men number 132. Uh, considering the previous issue of X-Men ended with one of the greatest moments in Wolverine history, Wolverine pulling himself out of the muck, promising to take his best shot at the rogues who threw him down and left him for dead, it's rather elementary for the follow-up to appear on this list somehow. Uh, this comic is actually one chapter of the larger Dark Phoenix saga, arguably the greatest X-Men story of all time, but it's also the undisputed coming-out party for everyone's favorite Canadian. Um... <clears throat> I will say that, you know, the Phoenix Saga is revered as one of the greatest X-Men stories. I do love it, but it doesn't compare to Days of Future Past for me. And I love Days of Future Past. Uh, the comic book was different from the animated series, which was different from the movie. But all three um, interpretations of that story uh, were incredible, in my opinion. And I loved Days of Future Past. But... Um, <clears throat> So, uh, the Wolverine alone is, uh, with all of his other teammates captured or out of commission thanks to the Hellfire Club and the brainwashed Jean Grey, Wolverine is charged with making his way through the Hellfire Club mansion in order to save the other X-Men. In the comic's opening sequence, Wolverine is hiding in the rafters like Spider-Man, waiting to get the drop on his opponents. <clears throat> uh, he uses equal doses of uh, guile and brute force to work his way back to his teammates, and even when he has a gun pointing directly to his temple, he still keeps finding ways to slip by his enemies. Uh, with X-Men 131's final panel 
in this entire issue, Chris Claremont and John Byrne made it cool to like Wolverine, a feeling that has followed the character for the next 30-plus years. So, thinking that. Uh, number two, Weapon X. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents, number 72 through 84. Uh, this haunting and horrific storyline, horrifying storyline, which was written and illustrated by Barry Windsor Smith, was the first real attempt to explain elements of Wolverine's mysterious, sometimes convoluted origin. Uh, Windsor Smith tells his story primarily from the perspective of three members of the Weapon X team, a clandestine program that takes subjects and bonds the, the unbreakable substance adamantium to their skeletons, resulting in ultimate killing machines. <clears throat> The abuse and torture Wolverine is subjected to throughout the arc is often uncomfortable to read, but it also goes a long way in terms of explaining the character's quirks and idiosyncrasies. Uh, Windsor Smith also borrows a number of narrative devices and tropes from the horror movie slash slasher film genre, which makes the comic read almost uh, like an edgier version of an old pulp, pulp magazine. And number one on the list is Wolverine. The four-part miniseries that took red-hot Wolverine and made him reach supernova status in the comic book industry. It also brought together the creative team of Chris Claremont on script and Frank Miller on pencils, who produced such a wholly unique and visually ambitious story that, may consider, that many consider it one of the more influential comic books from the past 30-plus years. Um, in an effort to truly define Wolverine as a separate entity from his X-Men teammates, Wolverine is set primarily in Japan and places the hero in a world of ninja, samurais, and organized crime. Uh, despite the, his vast uh, departure from X-Men, Wolverine introduces countless themes and character developments that have stuck with the character for the years that followed. It even marks the first appearance of Wolverine's classic catchphrase, I'm the best there is at what I do. Those who saw 2013's The Wolverine Film should note that numerous elements of the movie are adapted from this comic. And uh, especially like if you, uh, if you watch the opening scene with the bear, that's page for page of the book. Um, so those are the, the, the comic books there. And, um, well, I don't know. Um, like, like I said, I'm a huge, huge X-Men fan. I'm a huge Wolverine fan. If you don't have time to read the comics or you can't find them... Um, another thing you can do, and I'm going to, I actually got a surprise second list for you guys. Um, you can actually stream all the animated series on Hulu and, um, <clears throat> that, I don't know, you know, they've had like X-Men Evolution and all these other, uh, cartoons that are not as good as the original X-Men series that came out in 1992. You can find them all on Hulu right now. I've got them all on DVD and VHS. Um, I'm going to give you some of the best episodes of the, uh series so you can watch those and and just uh yeah learn to love the x-men all over again if you uh already haven't so um night of the sentinels that's uh season one episodes one and two um it's it's good it, it has a lot to do with jubilee um as uh, the audience's entree into the world of mutants and the x-men she's just discovering her firecracker powers and is hunted by evil mutant hunting sentinel robots um you know, uh, watch that one. It's good. Uh, the second one is Slave Island, Season 1, Episode 7. Um, after a few episodes that set up the series' main villains, including Magneto and Wolverine's rival Sabretooth, the show aired its first truly interesting episode set on the mutant-hating island Genosha. Uh, the symbolism is heavy-handed with Gambit, Rogue, and Jubilee as enslaved with explosive collars around their necks and forced to build a dam, but it's there nonetheless. Genosha is uh, broadly an allegory for any kind of slavery, 
but has uh, specific whiffs of South African apartheid in its setting and militaristic visuals. Uh, the imagery of Master Mold, a giant anthropomorph- anthropomorphized... Anthropomorphized? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Sentinel Factory is nicely nightmarish, too. Um, and as I was saying earlier, Days of Future Past. Uh, season 1, episodes 11 and 12... Uh, the original Days of Future Past arc, one of the most influential comic stories ever, is a tough act to live up to. Um, the series not only handles it with uh, a plum, it, 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 it mixes it with another comic book plot, the introduction of Bishop, a mutant policeman from the future without skipping a beat. Opening in the future where an aged Wolverine is the last survivor of an apocalypse that wiped out the X-Men, the two-parter has terrific fun playing around in its haunting future before dumping Bishop in the past as he tries to stop the events that led to everything going wrong. There are many memorable moments here. The terrifying mutant hunting Nimrod, the reveal of Mystique, uh, Bishop shooting everything with a giant gun, and so on. Uh, Next one, Repo Man, which is Season 2, Episode 5. Uh, this episode was scripted by Len Wein, who helped create the Wolverine character and wrote the iconic giant size X-Men number one and was the only major comic book figure to write on the show. Uh, Repo Man focuses on Wolverine's past by having him return to Canada and meet members of the country's premier super team, Alpha Flight, filling in details about the Weapon X program that created him. The series followed the same formula for Wolverine as the comics, immediately establishing him as a killing machine and an utter mystery, and slowly peeling back layers of his character and his backstory to maintain audience interest. In the 1970s, his status as a breakout character was something of a surprise, whereas here, he was established as the star of the show, but the approach still works nonetheless. Uh, The next episode I'm going to recommend is Time Fugitives, which is uh, Season 2, Episodes 7 and 8. Time travel and alternate reality is bonkers stuff for Saturday mornings, but X-Men quickly realized what fertile territory it could be. Time Fugitives features two time-jumping, gun-toting, muscle-flexing heroes, Cable and Bishop, and sees them working to prevent a mutant plague or a temporal storm or both. And it's set in the year 2055, but also the year 3999, um, because why not? This two-parter is far more structurally ambitious than the more character-centric Days of Future Past, but it's rollicking stuff that, in the second episode, sees Cable traveling back to the first episode to solve a problem. It's comic book pulpness at its best. Too ambitious, reliant on the weird deuce ex machina machines. Um, Very open-ended, but exhaustingly brilliant at the same time. Um, The next one, uh, Phoenix Saga, Season 3, Episodes 3 through 7, uh, I won't get into that. Just just watch that one. Um, Cold Comfort, uh, Season 3, Episode 15. Uh, X-Men definitely existed in its own hybrid universe, but Cold Comfort, which introduces Iceman as a former member of the team who's now on the outs, is an excellent nod to the series' forebears, uh, featuring flashbacks to the original team in the 60s uniforms uh, any comics nerd would immediately recognize. Cold Comfort also gives us Cyclops' brother Havoc and his super team X-Factor, who in their early 90s iteration were one of the most fun lineups around. Any episode that centers around Cyclops, uh, who is the stiff to end all stiffs on this show, is hampered by his stern, no-fun act, but Cold Comfort is one of the most memorable half-hours. Um, <clears throat> you got One Man's Worth, 
Season 3, Episodes 20 and 21. Um, even after the long majestic Phoenix arc, something like a comp comprehensive take on the Age of Apocalypse story, a uh, huge alternate reality undertaking in the comics, was a bridge too far for the show, but one man's worth was a decent summation. Imagining a world in which Professor X was assassinated as a young man, and Magneto leads the twisted version of the X-Men, one man's worth got to play with every character's look and sub in the re reliable time policeman Bishop, at this point the show is Doctor Who, uh, to figure everything out. It also brought back Nimrod, one of the series' more effectively creepy villains. Um, <clears throat> Sanctuary. Season 4, Episodes 6 and 7. By this point, X-Men was airing in weird chunks, with much of the long third season shoved into the fourth and fifth, hurting the serial nature of the series. Uh, but Sanctuary, written as the third season finale, is one of the best Magneto episodes, giving him a real opportunity to explore his leave-us-alone approach to mutant-human relations with Asteroid M, an isolated mutants-only space station. Of course, it all goes horribly wrong, but Magneto is a fascinating character for the show to explore as more of a flawed anti-hero, and Asteroid M is his grandest experiment. Um, and I, I mean, I can keep going and going and going. Um, I love... X-Men, so, um, you know what, I'll actually put, uh, more of these notes in the, sh in the, more of these episodes in the show notes, but, uh, we're running already at 30 minutes, I've been talking, uh, your ear off, and you're probably sick of that, so, um, <laughs> uh, let's get into, uh, the trivia, and we'll keep going forward. that transition uh remember last week i asked you guys the question according to the guinness book uh which language has the longest continuous history extending six thousand years to the present day uh the answer is chinese uh that's pretty fascinating uh language so um this one i'm gonna bring it back to uh what we were talking about this is an x-men related uh trivia question and for those of you guys who've watched the uh the first X-Men movie, um, the Brian Singer one, this uh, coincides with that. So the question is, what is the number tattooed on Magneto's arm? So go ahead and figure that one out. Uh, I don't know if you guys have to do a screenshot or something. So uh, email me that at uh, justokpod at gmail.com. Or you can go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash thispodcastisjustokay. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes right now, uh, go to SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash this podcast is just okay for all the episodes, free downloads. Um, if you're on SoundCloud, head over to iTunes. It's also free where you can also leave me a review and rating. Uh, five stars if you love it, one star if you hate it, three stars if you're in the middle. Um, if you're uh, looking to keep yourself warm this winter or nice and cool this spring, uh, head over to the... the uh, the merchandise page at cafepress.com slash this podcast is just okay merchandise um i also tell uh somewhat funny jokes kind of uh, every once in a blue moon on twitter at ozmusic34 and i'm also on instagram at kissmember34 where i do different uh album covers for each episode of the show that comes out pardon me uh plugging myself makes me tired so 
take that out of context. But um, uh, there you have it, man. There's your plugs and everything. I don't have time for the email bag this week, so I do apologize. I will get to that next week. Um, for now, uh, go read yourself some comic books, man. Watch the X-Men series. Check out the movies. Go ahead and revisit them. Um, and let me know what you guys think of Logan in theaters next week. I am so pumped for it. And uh, we're going to try to go opening night. I don't know. So we'll see. I'll let you know how that is. So anyway, um, have a week, and I will catch you guys next time.